If you are new or visiting with us um, this week, every week we have no idea what we're doing. So um, this is nothing new. Um, But let me introduce you to who we are. We believe three things at our church. Number one, we believe that there is hope beyond our brokenness. None of us are stuck. You might feel stuck, but there is hope for you with Jesus. Jesus is changing our lives. I just love being a part of this church because I no longer have to perform. I can be honest. And the moment that I'm honest with God and myself, that's the moment that he radically transforms me. And so that's what hope means. Hope is a picture of the future in which God is working. Amen? Second, we believe that, that the reason why we have hope is because as we trust Jesus, we start to understand that he is alive, that he's risen right now. Christianity is not a a think good thoughts process. It is an encounter with the risen Savior who is alive and active and moving and speaking and working miracles right in the middle of our midst. Six people said amen. Come on, come on, y'all. Amen. Yeah, he's moving in beautiful, incredible ways. And so so, uh, to... To start trusting him, that's called faith, where we would put the weight of our life on him. And as we do that, things get better. Lastly, we're called right where we are to bring restoration. So Victoria gets to, as professionally, she gets to sing with disabled adults and children all day long and provide music therapy for them. And so now God used you last week to give gifts to the very children and adults that she's singing with. See, God wants to use you right where you are, in your work, in your home, in your marriage, in your parenting, and in your grandparenting. He wants to use you right where you are to be a blessing, to be his hands and feet as Victoria preached. And since she preached, we're done for the day. This is it. We're going to give the benediction, and that's it. Each one of these truths, hope beyond our brokenness, trust in our risen Savior, restoration for our community, carries a choice that we can make and that we're called to make each day. And so let's read this together just like we do every week. Ready? Here we go. A disciple is one choosing to be changed by Jesus, choosing to seek Jesus first, and choosing to join Jesus in his resurrection work. Somebody told me that I drink water at the exact same time every single week. And so um, I always leave out on the online recording, which people listen to, uh, a disciple is one who walks intentionally with God. Um, so I just think that's funny. All they hear is a disciple is, and then glunk, and then choosing to be, yeah. So for all those listening online, I hope that's helpful. Okay, so we're in Advent. Advent means arrival. It means the arrival of this new king. What's this new king like? Last week we talked about peace. We talked about how God brings peace, and and Joseph chooses to obey God. He chooses Mary. He chooses Jesus at great cost to his own life. He's sacrificing his reputation. He's sacrificing intimacy with his family. He's sacrificing his business. He's laying it all down to choose Jesus. 
And we said, we talked about how this peace that we're trying, that we want, it also requires our choice. You and I get to choose Jesus. So when we choose Jesus, we're, we're, we're choosing him in part because Jesus is our peace. Amen? In every situation that we face, we're choosing to include Jesus in it. And like Joseph, he's teaching Jesus how to pray, how to keep on going back to God in prayer, no matter what situation he faces, because that's how peace arrives in your life. And so we had this phrase that we repeated three times in the sermon last week. It goes like this. Read it with me. Peace is the presence of God. Peace is sustained as we listen to his voice. Peace remains as we follow God's direction. Amen? So April and I got to take the kids to Disneyland on Thursday and Friday. So much fun. And it, it, was, it was great. And I was, there was this guy in line at Big Thunder Mountain, the wildest ride in the wilderness. You know what I'm talking about? The train ride. And he had this huge, massive knee brace on, and we started talking, and, and he had like a death metal shirt on and earrings and long black hair and black and black and black and on more black and the knee brace was black and we were talking and 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 it five years of his knee just being awful and Jesus kept on saying to me you pray for him pray for him pray for him and so we got off the plane the train ride and I was about to say something and then they called us and then we went on the train ride and then I was about to say something, and then we walked away, and, and I was just bothered by it. Nag, I had no peace, because peace is sustained as we listen to his voice, and peace remains as we follow God's directions. And I was bothered, 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 bothered all day long. And then finally, finally, I see this guy. His name is Pedrick. I see Pedrick at Space Mountain. And so it was like, Excuse me, April, I'm going to have a 10-minute conversation with Pedrick. And we got to talking about woodworking and blacksmithing and making stuff. And then I got to pray for Pedrick. And he doesn't believe it all, but no one has ever prayed for him. And so now I get to go on his Etsy store and buy something and shoot him a message and pray for him some more. And at that moment, I had peace because peace is sustained as we listen to his voice. And peace remains as we follow his direction. Does that make sense? So that's what happened this last week as I got to live out my own sermon. So before we do anything else, let's pray, okay? Jesus, protect this time. Lord, we bind up and mute everything opposed to Christ that would be bothering us now in Jesus' name. We pray for protection over this space, this campus. Lord, open our ears. Speak to our souls. Soften our hearts. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. So today we're going to be talking about joy. <clears throat> joy. Joy comes unexpectedly in the season of Advent. And, so, and, and joy comes in our most fragile moments. And that's for a reason. And so let's read. But 
we're going to continue in Luke, but let's remember where we are. Mary and Joseph, they're both 14, 15 years old. Mary, they both decide, you know what, Mary, you should go down south to aunt and uncle's house to be with them as you, you grow with child. And so Mary literally runs out of their village and she's, she's moving quickly to leave. And it says this in verse 39. Read with me, Luke chapter 1, verse 39. <clears throat> it's happening. It's coming. Here we go. Ready? Read with me. In those days... See? With haste. I got to get out of here. Quick. I'm pregnant. Let's leave. Where did she go? To a town in Judah... And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. So everyone in the family is still in shock at the story of these two teenagers. Oh, an angel came. Hmm. Is that how it happened? Oh, got it. Okay. Hmm. We don't know if the families believe Mary and Joseph or not, but they thought it'd be good uh, for some strong moral guidance in Mary's life. And so Zechariah, who works in the temple, he's a pastor, he's a priest. They thought, what will help a pregnant teenage girl? Let's send him to the family's pastor. And so they, Mary heads off to be with Aunt Elizabeth and Uncle Zechariah. Um, so these, this couple, they're up in age, they're just about to retire and they've been wanting a kid for 30 years, and they've been unable to have one. And so Mary's parents think, you know, even a child maybe of, of dubious origins, um, questionable circumstances, I think probably Zachariah and Elizabeth would be excited no matter what. Um, so Mary leaves in haste, right? Why isn't the Uber coming? Like, let's go. That's the name of the donkey. Uber. <laughs> right? Now, what no one knows, do you like that? That was pretty good. That's not in here. I just came up with it. What no one knows is that Zachariah and Elizabeth, four, five, six months earlier, we don't know the exact timing, but earlier, they've had the exact same experience as Mary and Joseph. An angel has come to them um, and comes to specifically to Zachariah while he's in the Holy of Holies. That's a whole nother longer story, which I don't get into. But let's just say that he's, the angel says, you're going to have a boy. He's going to be John. Name him John. That's John the Baptist. So Jesus and John the Baptist are cousins. Name him John. And Zechariah goes, mm, really? And angel convinces him by muting a pastor, which is a problem if you work in this profession. So Zechariah leaves the Holy of Holies, unable to speak, shows up at home. Elizabeth is like, I'm pregnant. And Zachariah is like, <laughs> and Elizabeth is, you never talk to me about your feelings. Like, what's going on? He's got a rat on his little board, like angel, mute, like I get it. Let's name him John. And so there's this miracle growing in Elizabeth. And, and both of them are so exciting. They're watching in their old age the promise of God literally growing within Elizabeth. The promise has not arrived, 
but they're watching with joy as the promise, as God's promise is growing pregnant within their lives. Now picture it, Mary, 14 years old, is about to walk into the highly religious house of her aunt and uncle, and she knows nothing of their story, so what do you think she's going to expect their reaction to be? Yeah, shame, disappointment, frustration, anger. (gasps) I wonder how long, how many times as she traveled that roughly 90 miles from where they were um, to up north to all the way down to uh, the hill countries outside Jerusalem, basically the neighborhoods surrounding Jerusalem. How many times did she rehearse the story of trying to convince her aunt and uncle Really, believe me, trust me, this is really how it goes. And so she walks into Aunt and Uncle's house and she calls out Elizabeth's name. Now let's read what happens. Ready? And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby, that's Elizabeth's baby, John the Baptist, the baby leaped in her womb. And she exclaimed with a loud cry. Wait, wait, wait. You can't read this quiet. Right? Baby leaping (laughs) inside Elizabeth. You've been pregnant. I've never been pregnant. If you've been, April would talk about like when, when they first, when they first did the ultrasound on Levi, um, they were like, "You, you guys are in trouble. Like he was just doing somersaults, right? Like around and around and around. And then, and then both Jonah and Levi would take their toes and dig it into like April's kidneys, right? What is that experience? That's crazy. And then the baby, I mean, is doing like leaping, like inside the womb, right? And Elizabeth was like, whoa, right? So she exclaims, giggles, bursts, like squeals loudly, ready? Here we go. Blessed are you among women. So what's the reaction? I mean, how many 14-year-old teenage girls show up to aunt and uncle's house pregnant, and this is the reaction? Like, this is the first and last time in the history of the world where this has been the reaction. It's unbridled joy. It's more joy. Elizabeth is literally jumping as her baby is jumping up and down, filled with the Holy Spirit. I'll never forget the first and most powerful time I was filled with the Holy Spirit like this. We had been uh, working up at Calvin Crest, the summer camp, just outside of Bass Lake, Highway 41, up to Yosemite. And there was this kid all week long who was causing trouble, just trouble, 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 trouble. And part of a gang in Fresno and just broken, deeply broken. And Friday night, we're wrapping up camp. Saturday morning, all the campers are going to go home. And Friday night, we get the word that this camper has just accepted Jesus. And so I race down and the dining hall is here and there's this back deck where we, people hung out. And as I'm walking into the dining hall, I'm going to go into the kitchen. I can see through the windows um, this kid and his counselor praying. 
and I walk into the kitchen because I'm going to go around the back way to the, to the back deck. I walk into the kitchen and I hit a wall. It was like it had a texture to it. It had a feel. It had a, there was a thickness. It was like I had started walking through water and it was literally the glory of God. And, and I fell to my knees, crying, weeping, laughing all at the same time. I've never experienced this since. It was, it was the glory of God. It had a weight to it. That's what glory means, weight. Like there was a weight to God's presence that was absolutely incredible. Total peace. And all I could say was, thank you, Jesus. Like I literally, it's all I could say. Thank you, Jesus. And I'm weeping and laughing and full of joy all at the same time. It was the most amazing experience I've had. So this is what Elizabeth is going through. Now let this moment sink in. Mary's standing there watching her aunt overcome with laughter and crying and incredible joy, peace and tears and like just, and then she sees her aunt pregnant, which is like, that doesn't make sense, right? Aunt Elizabeth is, you know, she just registered for the AARP, right? <laughs> like, she's six months pregnant. Like, this is crazy but awesome, right? So Elizabeth keeps on talking. She says, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit. Oh, wait, wait, yeah, there it is. And blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my but my Lord should come to me. I mean, like Mary is being so honored here. She feels so broken and so ashamed and so terrified. And instead, the first words out of Elizabeth's mouth are, blessed are you. Oh, man. You're going to have people come to your house this Christmas. Their lives are going to be a hot mess. What if instead of the first words out of your mouth is, instead of saying like, how, why can't you? And why aren't you? And why don't you? And what if you just said a word of blessing to them? Like, I know you're angry. They messed up. You're right. They're wrong. I get it. But what if you just said a word of blessing to them? So Mary is there, and Elizabeth is there, and joy, unexpectedly, is present in this moment. Why? Why is joy present in this moment? So let me answer first in the negative. And this comes from the Bible Project on YouTube. Check out those two guys, the Bible Project on YouTube. Incredible videos, animations, understandings, word studies. This comes from them. I did not make this up. This is, um, this is, when you say, 
uh, you got to credit your references the first time. The second time, you've, you can say, as I've said. The third time you say it, you just say, as I've always said, okay? First time, though, you got to credit your... This is from the Bible Project, okay? Next year, it'll be, as I've said, right? And then the year after. Okay, read with me. Joy is not happiness, which can ebb and flow with circumstance. Mary's circumstances are not ideal, right? She's just left her home in haste. She's pregnant out of wedlock. Mary's circumstances don't make her happy. Joy is not happiness. Happiness can ebb and flow with circumstances. Let's read this next truth. Joy is not dependent upon things working the way we expect them to or having everything in our life go according to plan. How many are on plan A? Right? Neither Joseph nor Mary would say that when they prayed, this is what they thought. This is how they thought God would answer their prayer. Right? They got engaged. Lord, bless this marriage. They never thought this would be the answer to the prayer. Joy is not dependent upon things working the way we expect them to. Is anyone ever here shouldered a burden that's not your own? That you find yourself taking care of people and loving people and living a life that you might not want. Has anybody here made mistakes in their life and things haven't gone off and you feel like you can't really ever get back to the track that you should have been on? If that's how you viewed your life, if you find yourself in those situations, then it feels like I can never have joy and that's a lie from the pit of hell. Amen? Amen. So why is joy everywhere in the story? Joy enters this story the moment Mary enters the room. And technically, it's the moment, because she's pregnant, it's the moment Jesus enters the room. He's leading. He's out front, right? Why? Because Jesus is our joy. Nehemiah 8.10 says this, The joy of the Lord is your strength. Read that with me. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Hebrew is fun because it can be flexible somewhat in how you translate it. So um, you could legitimately translate it here. You can read the top. This is the New International Version. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Here's the AIV, which is Annie's International Version. It's still legitimate. I mean, I checked it out with like scholars and stuff. And you could legitimately read this like so. Joy is the Lord and He is your strength. Isn't that cool? Joy, it, like God is joy. Like God is love and God is peace and God is hope and God is joy. Like you can't separate, like they're the same. Does that make sense? And God's presence, God's joy in your life is your strength. 
And Jesus is present with us now by the power of the Holy Spirit in whatever circumstances we face, good, bad, happy, sad, easy, or difficult, we can have joy because Jesus is our... Now, you might have already anticipated me saying this. You're like, yeah, I could see that one coming. Um, you know, Pastor Andy's sermons are pretty cool. They go like this. Here's a word, and it eventually it means Jesus. And here's a story, and eventually he points to Jesus. And Jesus is like the ultimate Sunday school question answer to all of Pastor Andy's sermons because I always land on him, right? You know what's going to happen every single week when you come to church. Where am I going to end up? Jesus, right? Every single time. Pretty straightforward. Um, so let's dive a little deeper as to why Jesus is our joy and what difference he makes. So how does Jesus respond as he's an adult now um, to people whose life plan has gone off the rails, to people who've made a mess of things, to people who find themselves in impossible circumstances? How does Jesus respond to you and me? How about the woman bleeding for 12 years with no help? He singles her out, not to shame her, but to actually commend her and congratulate her on her faith and heal her at this exact same time. This is a woman who's been in trouble. She spent all the money she's had to get healed, and everybody has said to her for the last 12 years, you know, if you just believed and prayed enough, you'd be better. So the fact that you're not better is because you don't have faith. And what does Jesus do to this woman who's her life plan has gone off the rails. She finds herself in an impossible situation. What does Jesus do? He doesn't run away. He walks toward her and says, you have enough faith. You have a beautiful faith. And be healed. He transforms her. What about the woman who's caught in adultery? Right? The woman who is bleeding, this thing happened to her. Here's a person who's, they've made mistakes, multiple mistakes. And she's been dragged out in public. People want to stone her to death. And what does Jesus do? He, he, he scurries off the cockroaches and says, be gone with you. Right? And he doesn't condemn her. He speaks the truth to her. And at the exact same time, by speaking the truth to her and looking her in the face, he is affirming that she is worthy of value and of love and honor and respect. And in that moment, he changes her life and she becomes one of the first evangelists to proclaim the good news about what God has done. Amen? And what are the moments in which Jesus rebukes people? Well, it's always the highly religious folks who are consumed with speaking the right answers without ever having to trust God in the middle of their glaring weaknesses. Right? Isn't this the world's problem with Christianity? People who are consumed with speaking the right answers, but everyone knows that they're not actually trusting the God that they claim to believe in in the middle of their glaring weaknesses. See, when you separate joy from God, 
then joy becomes a moment, a feeling, that magic sparkle when the right song plays with the right person sitting next to you because you have the right amount of money and your body just looks right and your eyebrows are plucked just right and you're wearing the outfit and you just got the most likes on your Facebook post or your Instagram or whatever. And, and, and that's what joy is for people who separate God from joy. Does that make sense? And so all of that vanishes, though, in a moment. When you're with your bad breath or your bad hair or a bad comment or a bad knee or a bad phone call, all of that vanishes in a moment. When joy is a feeling, it's fragile. But that's not joy. Joy is like the bass clef to the treble clef of our life. If you've ever read music, you can see on the, on the treble clef is, is the top line, and that's the melody. And the bass clef, that looks like the backward C. It looks like an ear down below. And that's always happening in the background. That's the steady song underneath the current of your life. And that song, God is always singing this to you. He's saying, you are loved. You are chosen even when you feel worthless. You have a beautiful purpose, even when you feel like you've messed it all up. You're forgiven and cleansed by Jesus, even when you feel like you can't get the stains out. Jesus is the bass clef. He's, he's, that, he's that steady, beautiful song underneath the ups and downs of our lives. Name a drug or an income bracket or a set of circumstances or a relationship that can give you what Jesus can. We've been searching and we can't find it. Because those things are never designed to be our joy. Only Jesus can bear this weight. A third century man, this is at the time of Nero, um, Nero's persecuting Christians, or not Nero, sorry, Diocletian. The emperor, Di Roman emperor Diocletian is persecuting Christians, killing them, um, throwing them to the lions. And this, this, this guy says this. He writes to a friend. We have this writing um, on a uh, in a papyrus. And this is what he writes to a friend. It's a bad world, an incredibly bad world. But I have discovered in the midst of it a quiet and holy people who have learned a great secret, they have found a joy which is a thousand times better than any pleasures of our sinful life. They are, not they are despised and persecuted, but they care not. They are masters of their souls. They have overcome the world. These people are the Christians, and I am one of them. They've discovered, they've found a joy which is a thousand times better than any pleasure of our sin, or this world. It's Jesus. At the end of the czarist reign in Russia, there was a countess, not a princess. This would be like a niece. There was a countess that had accepted Jesus as her Lord and Savior to the great dismay of the current czar sitting on the throne. So he decided that he would teach her a lesson. 
He'd throw in a prison for 24 hours with the scum of the Russian underbelly society and let, let her be in that squalor and dampness and, and darkness. And, and, then, and then he'd bring her out and, uh, and she would see that her, her faith was meaningless and purposeless. And so he ordered her into prison and had her treated terribly and then brought her back out again. And she's, her clothes are filthy and she's just spent 24 hours with the worst of the worst in Russian society. And he smiled with his grim mocking smile. And he said, well, are you ready now to renounce your silly faith and come back to the pleasures of the court which I can offer you? And to his surprise, the countess smiled serenely and said this, I have known more real joy and more real happiness and one day in prison with Jesus than I have known in a lifetime in the courts of the czar. See, Jesus is our joy, and Mary knew this, and now Elizabeth knows this, and Elizabeth has one more thing to say to her precious niece. Verse 44, For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy, and blessed is she, read this with me, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment Say that again, verse 45. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Elizabeth is saying, Mary, you are blessed because you believed that God would actually come through on his promises to you. This is the heartbeat of joy to believe that God will actually come through and give you the promises that He's already given you. Amen? Amen? I mean, this is what defines Israel. As they're delivered from Egyptian bondage, they literally have walked out of Egyptian bondage. Where are they? They're lost in the middle of nowhere. And what do they do? They rejoice. Do you do this when you're lost in the middle of nowhere? Oh, thank God I'm here. And... But that's what they do. In fact, the 40 years of wandering, when the psalmists look back on it, they say this was a time of joy. When Isaiah looks back on it, in Isaiah 52, verse 11, he says, this is a time and a season of joy because for the first time in our history, we learned that joy is waiting while God is fulfilling His promises in your life. Joy is waiting, trusting that the goodness of God will birth and grow His promises in your life and they will be good. What has Jesus promised you? Oh, I don't know. Like to save you when you don't deserve it? To love you when you don't have anything to give? To forgive you when you're stuck in your rebellion? To provide for you? Even to give you opportunities to be generous no matter how much money you have or don't have? to mature you even when you kick and scream against his gentle hand. You see, Jesus is the author and perfecter of your faith. Jesus isn't going to give you joy and then leave you be. 
because joy isn't a feeling. Joy is the presence of Jesus in your life. And Jesus is going to mature you into the kind of women, the kind of woman who, when things go wrong and not according to plan, because moms, you care about everything, don't you? Guys, we don't have the bandwidth. It's one thing at a time for men. I'm hungry, and then church, and then football, and then nap, right? Three steps ahead max, maybe two. I'm hungry, right? Women, y'all, I don't know what it is, but your brains are magic. You care about and notice everything, and you care about everything. And when things are off... Jesus wants to mature you into the kind of woman who, woman who can wait with joy, knowing that he's good, he's got it, and he'll take care of it, and it'll be okay. Not wait with anxiety. Not wait with nagging. Not waiting with fretting. Not waiting with Freaking out, not waiting with, I'm fine, I'm fine. That's freaked out, insecure, neurotic, and emotional. None of that. It's waiting with joy. Men, God wants to mature you into the kind of man who can wait even when you don't have the power to make things okay. Because that's what you do. That's us men. We like the power. The power to change our world with our strength. Well, Arnold, this isn't working. I'll just push harder. <laughs> this is what men do, right? Faster, stronger now, right? This just wasn't in my sermon. I'm ad-libbing on this one as well. God wants to mature you into the kind of man who can wait with joy even when every attempt that you do, that you create to try and make things work out, mm, isn't working. Wait with joy. Because God's got you. He's got the power. See, this is the thing, is that he's actually going to give us opportunities to wait with joy. Why? Because you and I don't save ourselves. He does. And you and I can't create our own joy. It's a gift from him. It's his presence in our life. Now, kids get this way better than adults. Like, we're in the middle of it right now, Christmas time. December 24th, one gift in our family, then the big day, payday. <laughs> kids get paid one day a year, right? Payday, December 25th. And you remember what it was like when you were like a kid, right? Like you had this energy, like just this vibration, and it, the oscillations increased the closer that you got to Christmas, right? Your little RPMs went up and up and up and up and up, right? Why? Because you knew that your parents and Santa were going to make it all work for you, right? Mom and dad plus Santa, everything was going to be fine no matter how much you got or didn't get on Christmas, no matter if the Adat Walker didn't come, it's okay. What you got was good, right? The G.I. Joe hovercraft still showed up. 
Amen? Sorry, that's my own trauma, right? Does that make sense? Kids don't approach Christmas with dread. They approach Christmas waiting with because they know God is going to show up, a.k.a. you and Santa. Now, my boy, Jonah, waits with joy in a way that I've never seen. He loves to go on car rides, which that's all they are, is waiting. You know why? Because every time he gets out of the car, he's going to eat something he likes. He's going to see somebody he loves, and he's going to have fun. He loves the car. He wants to get in the car all the time. He likes to wait in the car. He doesn't want to get out of the car. He likes the car. You know what he's like in the car? He just bounces, right? He bounces. He's like John the Baptist in Elizabeth's wombs. He's like leaping, bouncing, squealing, laughing, right? I mean, he's just like, yeah! He makes this little flipper noise. You remember Flipper, 1960s, right before Gilligan, right? Yeah! Right? I mean, he's like this, like, like it's Flipper, like that, and it's just joy, just bursts out of him because he's waiting, because he knows that it's going to be good. This is you right now. Right now, will you let your children, your grandchildren convict you? Wait with joy. God's got you. He loves you. He's not going to let it all fall apart. It's going to be okay. He loves you. Wait with joy. Not fear, not dread, not panic, not trying to control. Wait with joy. And it's the best part about it when you're waiting with joy. What are you doing? You're waiting with Jesus. You're saying to him, I'm freaking out right now. And he's like, oh, it's okay. I got you. You're waiting with him and you're going, I don't know what to do. I'm scared. He's like, it's okay. I got you. You Keep on talking to him. He's your peace. He's your hope. He's your joy. Next week, we'll talk about how he's your love. Amen? Lord Jesus, I pray that you'd bless and seal the good news that's been spoken into the hearts of my friends here, that's been sung over them. Now in Jesus' name, protect them, bless them. I pray for each of us right now. As we wait, it's only 10 days to Christmas, Jesus, and for some of us, that, that just makes us feel anxious and increases our heart rate for other of us. That's just, we're so excited. For others of us, it's almost dread. And I pray that right now, Holy Spirit, you'd meet each one of us in our hearts. We could wait for any day with you. We don't have to manage what any day will look like anymore. We can trust you. You're good. And you can transform shame and disappointment into blessing just by your presence. So Lord, bless my friends with joy today. Guard them, protect them, bless them. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Would you stand for the benediction?